0: Hey everybody, my name is Tyler. I'm the student pastor here at FCC. Welcome to our podcast. We're glad you joined us. Let's get into the word. All earthly things with earth will fade away. The prayer grasps eternity. I'm convinced of this. God does not hear prayer. He hears desperate prayer. Prayer is not a position, whether you knees. Prayer is not a position, it's a disposition. You get to the place where you rather sweat, you would rather weep in his presence than laugh in anybody else's presence. You would rather God whisper a secret into your heart that breaks you. Can somebody give you the prizes that all the world covets. Prayer. It's almost the greatest human privilege that we have. Prayer is almost the greatest human privilege that we have. I love that line. Prayer is almost the greatest human privilege, that we, excuse me, that we have. But I wonder, when we think about prayer, when we, th- when we think about the act of prayer, I wonder if we treat it as such. It's a quote Rich Velotis, who's a pastor out in New York City, wrote in his new book, Good and Beautiful in Kind. As a culture, prayer has become a code of sentimentalism that is mildly sympathetic to tragedy, but is helpless or even apathetic to producing real transformation. In other words, man, are we actually seeing the act of prayer as something that is powerful and a God-breathed gift to humanity? Or do we often use it at best to sugarcoat hard things, passively believing in its power? I know that I have been there. I, I am there often. And as I was prepping this message this morning, I, I had to think back to, to when, when is a time that I really saw truly the power of prayer moving in and through my life? Where have I seen prayer? And I thought, I thought back to it, and, and one moment stuck out to me and came to mind. I was in college and my grandfather wasn't doing well. He, his health was declining. And I was very close to, to my grandfather. I, he lived in Colorado. I was down here in Arizona. And so I was making plans to make a trip back up to Colorado to see my grandfather for the final time before he passed away. And, and before I was able to, to get up there, his health took a turn and, and, and he was going to die earlier than we thought. And I wasn't able to make it back to Colorado to say goodbye to my grandfather. And so I said, I said goodbye to my grandfather on the phone. He, he couldn't speak to me. I know he heard. One of the hardest things that I've ever had to do. And so for the next couple of days, I put on a brave face and, 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 and tried to pretend like everything is okay. But I, if, if you know me at all, I'm not good at hiding emotions. I would them. And so I was going down to the cafeteria for dinner one, one evening, and, and I sat down at the table of my friends, and I just clearly was not doing well. And they asked what was happening, and I told them. And immediately, one of my friends, Adam, grabbed my shoulder, and he said, let's pray. And friends, he prayed a prayer over me that I will never forget. It was the, the manifestation of the person of Jesus existing right there in that space. As Adam prayed over me, I felt empathy as I weeped in the presence of Jesus and my friends. Church, that is the power of prayer There's something powerful in both the human and divine connection of prayer. And prayer is designed to connect us and other people to something greater. It is a point of relationship, of empathy, of healing, and of experiencing God's presence. That is prayer. And over the next couple of weeks, we're we're going to step into this place of of talking about prayer and specifically what it looks like for us to pray over others. How do we pray over others? How do we reflect the heart of God when we pray over others? How do we share the heart's posture of Jesus as we pray over others and how did he model that? And we're going to look at that this morning in our passage, which comes out of John chapter 17. We're going to look at verses 6 through 18 this morning. It'll be up on the screens if you want to read along with me, you can. Before we do that, just a little bit of context for you in this passage. This is at the, the, the Last Supper where Jesus is sitting around with his disciples, and he has just washed their feet, and he is sharing with them for the final time what is about to happen. that that he is about to go to the cross, that he is going to die and eventually ascend and leave them on the earth. But he comforts them and he says that he is sending his Holy Spirit to be with them. And he gives them comfort in this fact. And then he prays this prayer that we're going to read together this morning, a powerful prayer, a high priestly prayer. That Jesus shares with His disciples and gives us such a beautiful example of what it looks like for us to pray over others. So we're going to look at this in three separate sections with me this morning, if you would follow along, starting here in verse uh, excuse me, verse six, "I have revealed to you those whom you gave me out of the world." Jesus talking to the Father." They the disciples were yours and you gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know everything that you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They know with certainty that I came from you and that I believe that you and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world but for those that you have given me, for they are yours. So let's pause there for a moment, a few takeaways, a few things that I want us to grasp out of this passage this morning. And the first one is this, that we must see people to pray for people. We must see people to pray for people. So Jesus opens his prayer over his disciples by affirming their place with God. Several times, Jesus says, they were yours, they were God's. And even before they truly knew God, they were God's. From the very beginning, they belonged to God. And through their belief, they are once again whole with God. But from the beginning, right from the start, Jesus sees the value and affirms the value in his disciples that they were yours. Right from the beginning, Jesus opens this prayer not only that, but three separate times in this prayer, Jesus then says, you gave them to me. He says, these disciples that, that were yours, you have now given them to me. He saw them and what the Father wanted for them. And right away, Jesus sees this, this, his disciples through his Father's eyes. You gave them to me. His heart is in the right places. He contends for his disciples in prayer. So what does this mean for us? What do we glean from this? When when I was up in in California interning uh, at a church up there, uh, we we, uh, were playing this game in youth group. It was around Christmas time. And so we, we got the, the bright idea our team that we were going to set up a, a giant Christmas tree in the middle uh, of, our, of our playing area, and then we broke uh, kids into four teams. We gave them four uh, Home Depot, orange Home Depot buckets that, they, uh, that we filled different color ornaments in each bucket. And the idea was that kids would stand behind the line, and they would take turns taking an ornament and throwing it at the Christmas tree to try to get to stick. Welcome to youth ministry. <laughs> And the game was going great. The game was going great. Kids were having a good time. They were laughing. They were enjoying it. Ornaments were actually sticking on the tree, which we were worried about. Things were going great. And then, welcome to youth ministry. I was looking over here at this team. I remember this moment specifically, very vividly. I was looking over at this team, and they were throwing, they were having a good time. And all of a sudden, I see an orange flash out of the corner of my eye. And I whip my head around just in time to see this orange Home Depot bucket collide with the tree. And the tree comes down, all the ornaments fall all over the ground. Game is ruined. Look over to see who it was. It's the eighth grade boys. And they were standing there, and there was one kid in particular, his hands behind his back, and he looked terrified. He looked terrified, like, what did I just do? so we kick them out of the room and we clean everything up we start going for a a different game and uh, me and and our, our middle school director we go out to talk to this group specifically this kid who decided it would be a good idea to throw the home depot bucket at the christmas tree and we asked him hey what were you thinking and he looked at us dead in the eye and he said i don't know and as an adult we look at that and we say what do you mean you don't know But if you look into this age group and this research and and, and where they are developmentally, much of what they do is done on impulse. They don't think, it's just done on impulse. And so when this kid was saying, I don't know, he was being truthful, he doesn't know because he wasn't thinking. Much of his world is operated in this tunnel that everything that he does is just exactly what's in front of him. Church, I think that sometimes When it comes to prayer for other people, I think we live in this tunnel. I think sometimes we fail to to read the room, to just take two seconds and say, maybe that's not a good idea to throw the Home Depot bucket. To to take two seconds and, and realize what's going on around us. Who is around us? Two things that God calls us to do in prayer for others. Recognizing the people that he has called us to. You gave them to me. Recognizing the people who are around us and taking a moment to empathize with them and affirm them as children of God. Even when we're just praying for them privately, for those even that we don't know, we need to do this in our prayer life. I'm struck by by Jesus uh, and, and his calling of his disciples in Matthew 4, Luke 5, and John chapter 1, which we read together this morning. And the calling of Peter and Andrew and of Simon. He walks up to them confidently and he says, Follow me. Or he asks, What do you want? Come and see. And I don't think that this is a coincidence. I don't think that Jesus just randomly chose these guys because this comes after Jesus had just spent 40 days in the wilderness to be tempted in time with God, fasting and being with the Father. And we don't have any any scriptural evidence of this, but I imagine that Jesus spent much time praying over those that the Father had called him to. And so when the time came, he was ready. And he knew exactly who the Father was calling him to. Churches, we contend for people in prayer, whether we know them or not, whether we're with them physically when we pray or not, whether they know Jesus or not. We must practice being aware of those that Jesus calls us to, and seeing them as Jesus sees them. We'll talk more about that here in a moment. But Jesus models here having a heart that sees people as we pray. Now, there's a flip side of that, too, because because Jesus, just as much as Jesus models here seeing people that we pray for, he also asks us to remember what they see in us. In verse eight, Jesus says, for I gave them the words that you gave me and they accepted them. They know with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. Jesus is saying these guys believe because of what they have seen in me. Everything that Jesus has done for the last three years has been an investment in his witness and his testimony to these guys. And he prays that and reflects that in his prayer to the Father as he is leaving them on this earth. So church, let's ask ourselves this morning, what do people see in us? When people look at us, what do they see? Whether or not the people that we pray for know it, what is it that they see in us? Do they see our Heavenly Father reflected? Hang on to that question because we're going to dig deeper into that here in a moment, but first let's pick up again here in our scripture, uh, starting again in verse 10. So Jesus has just affirmed uh, in his disciples uh, the the worth that they have, and then he calls them that they are his, and that Jesus, excuse me, that, that the Father has given them to him. And then picking up again in verse 10, he says this, all that I have is yours, and all that you have is mine and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming for you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them, and I kept them safe by that name that you gave me. None has been lost except for the one doomed to destruction, so that the scripture would be fulfilled, referring there to Judas. So let's talk about this here in the lens of our second point this morning, which is this, that we must understand people to pray for people. And so we must see people to pray for people, and we also must understand people to pray for, for people. So Jesus shifts gears here uh, and, and starts praying for protection over his disciples. He says, Father, protect them so that they may be one as we are one, talking about Jesus and the Father. Now, I think that this is an interesting uh, addition that Jesus puts in this prayer, because Jesus prays for unity for his disciples as he and the Father are united And he does this because Jesus understands the importance of unity to be an effective witness. Now, when I say unity, I'm not talking about uniformity. We do not have to agree on every single point in order to be unified. But Jesus is calling them to be unified in faith the confession that Jesus is Lord. And with that, he calls us to do two things love God and love others. That's it. Love God. And love others. Jesus understands that the only way that his disciples will be effective in their ministry is if they agree on that point, that Jesus is Lord and that they are called to love God and love others. Jesus was able to accomplish his ministry through the unity that He shares with his heavenly Father, and likewise, we as Christ's body must be unified in our love for God, excuse me, for God. And for others. Jesus, in fact, actually alludes to this a bit further in this passage that we're reading together. We're not going to read this portion together this morning, but after praying for his disciples, he shifts gears and starts praying for all believers. And in verse 21, he says, I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you. Unity in love is clearly key for Jesus and his body. He keeps bringing it up over and over. So how does this flush out practically in our prayers? I'm a, I'm a left-handed person, <coughs> excuse me, for the most part. I, I throw uh, right-handed, but basically everything else that I do is, is left-handed. And when I was in t-ball, I was like four years old, um, we we would we we would go to the field, and I had a coach who, who consistently put me in the right-handed batter's box when I would go up to the, to the tee, right, because he just assumed, look, every kid is right-handed because everybody in the world is right-handed, but I was left-handed, and so after like a couple of really awkward, uncomfortable swings, and the coach probably like, man, this kid really sucks, right, like my parents are screaming from the stands, he's a lefty, he's a lefty, and they'd have to take me and switch me to the other batter's box assuming that I was right-handed. Friends, I think that at times when we pray for people, we often try to set them up in the wrong box. And what I mean for that is that we can pray for people out of the lens of how we see them and what we think they need rather than what God knows that they need. Now, that's not to say that God can't work through that. It's not at all to say that. God can and does work through the places that we fall short. And so the problem there really is more about us and our heart. Jesus, in verse 12 of of our scripture that we just read, says that while I was with them, while I was with the disciples, I protected them and I kept them safe by that name that you gave me. And putting that then into the context of what we just read, we should ask ourselves the question, do we carry a heart of protection for the people that we pray for? Do we protect the people that we pray for? And does that come from a place of trying to understand them? Jesus protected his disciples physically, yes. Spiritually, yes. But he also protected his disciples by affirming and empowering them. He protected his disciples by leading with patience. He was firm with them at times, to be sure. But he continued to provide ways for them to tangibly understand the things that he was teaching. And he taught them over and over. He protected them by knowing them. He understood the culture that they grew up in. He understood how they saw the world. Jesus understood them. He protected them by forgiving them. I love Jesus' first interaction with Peter after he's denied him. Jesus calls Peter to feed the flock, to care for the flock, and forgives Peter for his denial. Jesus protected his disciples by empathizing with them. And he protected his disciples of what we can see by contending for them in prayer before the Father. There's a ways that Jesus protected his disciples because he understood what his disciples need and he prays for them then out of that lens. But church, we cannot effectively advocate for people if we only pray for the lens that we think that they should be prayed for. If we try to put people in the wrong batter's box, the batter's box that we think that they should be in. We miss the point. Our willingness to understand people in prayer matters. For example, we pray that abortion will end and the right to life is protected, but do we also pray for women and men to have the resources, support, understanding, and love that they need and deserve to help raise that child? Do we also pray for and advocate for the prosperity of that child outside of the womb as they grow and mature? We pray for peace among people, but do we also pray for justice for the oppressed and the silenced and the abused? Do we pray for our personal blind spots in that, that they would be revealed and understand that a truly peaceful world is a just one? Do we pray, we pray for people to find Christ, but do we also pray that we would be a safe place for those people to come and talk through the things that they're going through, to talk through the trauma that they've experienced? Do we empathize with people and lead with patience and pray that God would give us the wisdom to do so? We pray for our nation and our leaders but do we also pray for the prosperity of all people groups around the world? We pray for the church to thrive, but do we also pray that the church would own our mistakes and be accountable to the ones that we've wounded? Are we unified in the same way as we pray for and advocate and protect people? Jesus gives us an example of what this looks like in prayer at the end of our passage. So, Let's pick back up once again here in verse 13 and read this section together to the end. So verse 13 says this. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still here in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of this world any more than I am of this world. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they may, be, may also be truly sanctified. Friends, our final point this morning is this, that we must love people to pray for people. We must love people to pray for people. So as Jesus wraps up his prayer, he does so with what I think is just a beautiful example of advocating for others in prayer. He says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things in front of my disciples. I say these things here so that my disciples may, be, may experience and be filled with the joy that I have in them. He acknowledges that they have a difficult road ahead of them. He says, man, the world will hate them. But he prays that the father will protect them in that, that the father will protect them from the evil one. And he prays that they will be set apart in the truth of the word, he affirms their calling in him and the sacrifice that he will make for them. And what I think I find most beautiful in this final section as Jesus prays over his disciples is that there is just this incredible thread of love. You can tell, you can feel, you can see through Jesus' words that he loves his disciples, he loves them to their core. And he is concerned for them as he leaves them behind. He knows the trials and the things that they're about to step into. He knows the sacrifices that all of them will eventually make. He knows that. But he boldly affirms them and sends them out as disciples who make disciples. In verse 19, he says, as you sent me into the world, I have now sent them into the world. Jesus deeply loves those he prays for. So for the next few minutes, we're going to follow this example of Jesus. Nicole is going to come up here, and she's gonna she's gonna pray. Or excuse me, she's gonna play a song over us. So we're gonna we're gonna do something a little different here this morning. We're going to practice prayer over others. And this is an individual thing. This will just be between you and God. But what I want us to do is is I want us to set ourselves up to be aware of the presence of God who is in this room. To think about the people who God has put on our heart and on our minds and to pray for those people out of the lens of the Father. So here's what what we're going to do. In a moment here, I'm gonna pray for us as a body. And then, as this song plays, I'm gonna ask that we just sit in the presence of the Father. and We just allow the Holy Spirit to move in and through this place. You can engage with the words that are on the screen if you choose, but I ask that you stay seated. And just allow father into this place so let's still our hearts and minds if you would put your hands out like this in an invitation or as an acceptance rather of the holy spirit in his place and let's pray lord we ask that you come now and place a person or persons on our heart as we lift them to you in prayer Jesus, we open our hearts to this person as someone who who we see that you have placed in our lives and on our mind who is your child and worthy of love and peace through your son. We pray that you, that we would reflect you and your life to them and that they would see you when they look at us. We pray for understanding and empathy for them and we advocate for them now. Not as we would, but as you would we profess a deep love for this person and may they feel your presence today as we lift them to you now thanks everybody for tuning in with us today stay tuned for more content coming soon have a blessed day